everybody. Welcome to Busy Living So Busy Living So Busy Living So I'm crazy. <laughs> it's episode 270. Yeah. Hallie. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hallie Thompson's here with me today. And Hallie I, and I have known each other for almost eight years. Is that yeah. true? Crazy. It is true. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm hmm. And she was on the podcast and we were, I tried to go back and look. And I think that it was from probably from probably five years. Cause I've had it for five years. So you yeah. probably were on like five, four and a half years ago. Yeah. We didn't look to see the date. Cause does it really matter? No, it doesn't matter. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And here we are today. Yeah. And you have, you'll have eight years of continuous sobriety in January. We're not going to talk about that. Cause you have seven years today. Correct. It's all about today. And what. It's interesting because I said, George, you want to have your last name on here. Mm. And she's, what'd you say? I said, yeah. And the reason I said, yeah, is, you know, I've been at my job for four years now and I don't openly advertise that I'm in recovery. Um, I'm in human resources too. So that's a thing, but I think that, you know, you're all about reducing the stigma against alcoholism. And I think that if, someone at work were to tell me that they were struggling, I would definitely disclose that I'm in recovery. If I felt like it was, you know, appropriate to do so, I don't want to push anything on anybody, but sometimes it's helpful to know that you're not alone. Right. And that there's sure. somebody else who has experienced something similar. So if somebody were to Google me, they would maybe find this podcast and I'm totally okay with that because I'm proud of my experience in my past and the fact that you know I have a message to share with people so with yeah. that for those who didn't hear you four years ago and yeah. if you want to go back and look and find please do but tell us what it was like what happened and what it's like today oh my gosh what it was like so what it was like for me at a very high level so I don't get into the gory details of my story I had the you know the allergy that we associate with alcoholism. When I started, I had difficulty stopping or couldn't stop at all. And I did crazy stuff when I was drinking things that with a clear head and a clear mind, I would say, I would never do that. But then when I was drinking, I sort of had this little, you know, thing come over me that was like, Oh, you can do that. It's fine. And yeah. And, and things just started to get out of control. My life was unmanageable. It was, it was really unmanageable. And I was in my early twenties. And so I was in college and then I graduated from college and, you know, my, my life continued on, um, when some people were like growing up and like getting jobs and, um, maybe having like relationships and stuff. And I was still kind of living like I was in college, but it started to become more apparent to me that what I was doing wasn't normal, normal. Um, and it, it didn't feel okay anymore. And I remember like, I remember talking to a friend of mine and this is before I like decided that I was an alcoholic. This was before I started AA, but I was sitting on a bench and I was like kind of having some reflection, introspection and I just remember saying to that person, I feel like if I don't stop drinking the way that I am, I'm not going to be able to achieve what I want to achieve in my life. And 
Yeah. And, and at that moment, like I didn't even, you know, it, it was, it was profound, but now looking back on it with, you know, however many years of recovery, it's even more profound because there was something in the, in me that knew, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And so I, like, I didn't, I think rehab's great. And I, that wasn't part of my story. I had a really awesome like counselor who was like, you're an alcoholic. And I was like, F you, no, I'm not. But I realized that I was. And so I was directed towards AA and that's what I do. And that's, what's really helped me in my life. Um, yeah. I want to interject one thing. Cause do you remember you tried it first? You tried it when you were younger. And you tried it, remember, where didn't you have to get eight months? And then oh, you went yeah. to a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did. And that was like, that was before I met you. Right. I remember. So, yeah, because yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. how old were you at that point? I was 23. So 23. Yeah. You had decided, I know there were, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but yeah. there were circumstances that, that perpetuated you to go to AA. Mm-hmm. And you went and you and got sober and yeah. you were like, okay. And you were doing it. And I was doing it. I had a sponsor. I was doing steps. I was connecting with people, but I still kind of had one foot in and one foot out. Like I had a really hard time with the concept of, I was thinking about it in terms of my whole life. Like I have to be sober forever. I'm never going to drink again. And I just couldn't like commit to that at that point, even though I knew deep down, like that's what needed to happen for me. Um, and so I, I kind of like, you know, the perfect storm of circumstances, like the sponsor that I was working with, we kind of drifted apart. It was partially my fault, partially her fault for not keeping in touch, you know? Um, and then she basically stopped sponsoring me. And then I sort of like my meeting attendance declined And I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to try this out again, this whole drinking thing, it might as well be at this wedding on New Year's Eve where I'm not driving anywhere and I'm kind of safe, you know, and just see how it is. And I was with people because at that point in my life, I wasn't telling a lot of people that I was in recovery. So the people I was with, like they didn't know any better. Um, So, yeah, so I drank again and it like it wasn't even that big of a deal, you know, like, I, yeah, I was hung over and I felt crappy the next day, but I didn't do anything crazy compared to like the past. And I, I was relatively safe. I didn't piss anybody off, like whatever. But a couple of days later, I just had, again, like one of those moments, those higher power moments that was like, you don't want to do this. Like, don't do it. And that was not me. Like I truly believe that was not from my own brain. And so I listened to that. And I think that was like, you taught, I hear you talk a lot about like the window, just the little crack of willingness. And I think that that was what it was for me. And, and at that point I was convinced and I went back to AA and I had like a semi friend, like a girl I was getting to know. And she was like, you need to get a sponsor like ASAP. I I don't care if you like her, if you like, doesn't matter. You just find somebody who you've heard him speak in a meeting and you know, you want what they have and you just go and ask them. And so I was like, I'm going to ask Elizabeth and you scared the crap out of me because you were like, just so out there and you know everybody knows how you are by now um unless this is your first time listening but yeah you were just so out there but the thing that attracted me to you so much was how positive you were about recovery and how you were like I could still have fun 
fun when I'm sober. And I was like, I want to have fun. Cause that was like, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I drank. Cause I thought it was fun and it was fun for a good amount of time, but there were other reasons why, like my own insecurities and um, feeling uncomfortable talking to people when I was sober. So I wanted to have that like social lubricant, but it just, you know, for me, it just didn't work with my body to have it, you know, cause all the, all the positive things that I wanted out of drinking, like I have those in my life now as a sober person. And I never knew that that would happen, but it did. And it's awesome. And it's amazing. And now here you are seven years in, mm-hmm. you've had in such so many things that have come along the path that some people might've been like, Oh my God, this is too much. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing this in. I, the feelings are too overwhelming. You've mm-hmm. had family members pass away mm-hmm. that you really adored. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard. Yep. And then, you know, your your family of origin, you had stuff come up that was also a little like, <gasps> yeah, take your breath away, mm-hmm. but you continued. And how do you continue? And I want you to tell people also what you're doing with your life. Cause I think it's really interesting. Okay. So first question, how do I continue? Um, like when those hard times came. Yeah. I think I have, as we do in AA, get this set of tools that we can use. And, um, I think for me, the, the tools were, they're all there from the beginning. You know, it's like 12 steps, sponsorship, your network of people, um, meetings, um, helping others, which is part of the 12 steps, but, you know, service in and of itself, community, um, they're all there from the beginning, but I had to learn how to use them. And I think I learned how to use them by first and foremost, going to meetings. Cause then I got to see through example, like I'm a very, like, I, I learn from others. I, I, I watch what other people do and I am like, I want to be like that. And then I sort of try to emulate that behavior. Right. And so I would see people in the program that I thought, you know, like you and like other women. And I'm like, Oh, I think they're doing it right. You know, like, um, and so I would sort of try and figure out like what you did. And I would ask questions or, you know, try and get to know you a little bit. Um, I know for me, the friends I've made in a have been a game changer. Like it took me a while to find my tribe, um, in meetings. I just, I don't know. It's, it's, for one, you can't find your people if you're not in it and you're not going. And that was one of the things you taught me in the beginning was like, can't have one foot in one foot out. Like you got to be in it because you told me to do a 90 and 90. And that was a huge deal for me because I started to meet people. People knew who I was. They could tell like, Oh, Hallie, you seem a little off today. What's going on with you? Um, so I had like that sort of safety net. And then I met some girls who were, you know, around my age, around the same sobriety time as me and really fell into this awesome group. And that was, it probably took me like two years in the program to find them. And now we've been really great friends ever since. And we don't even, a lot of them live in the same place, but me and one other girl don't live there anymore, but we still all keep in touch, you know? So I think that was a big, that's been a big tool for me when things are going wrong to back to your original question if shit's hitting the fan and I'm like, I want to drink. Cause I've had that. I've definitely had that. And I, I don't care how long you have, like we're alcoholics and under the right set of circumstances, 
there's going to be something that comes up that's going to make us say, mm, a drink looks pretty good because I don't want to feel this feeling that I have right now. And so usually, usually I will like reach out to a friend and just be like, this is how I'm feeling. I'm kind of embarrassed about it or whatever, even though there's no reason to be embarrassed, but that's my, you know, one of my go-tos and they'll, they'll talk me through it, you know? And um, another thing that I've learned is when I'm up in my head, which is typically something that will lead me to eventually have that thought of like, I want to drink, um, try and help somebody else. Like we think about ourselves a lot. <laughs> and while introspection is very good and we can learn a lot about ourselves, sometimes there's like a delicate balance between staying there for too long and then like being there just enough to like get what you need. And when I'm there for too long, I need to step out of that and think about somebody else. Because as soon as I do that, then I don't, I don't care. The thing that I, that would bother me, it's not so big anymore. You know, it's not making me feel like, oh my God, the world is ending and I need to drink over it, you know, because a drink isn't going to make anything better. No, yeah, it doesn't make anything better. And the interesting thing that I think that you've done is that you've had, you know, opportunities, mm -hmm. many opportunities to move. And you moved, so you, you get this job and it was not, you know, you have, for one, she got her master's and that was huge. Mm -hmm. And you had a full-time job mm -hmm. and you went to meetings. Yes. Yeah. And you did that. Yeah. And you did that in that order. And then they say that life gets really good and you forget about AA, but you didn't forget about your sobriety along that path. Mm -hmm. And when you did your first move. Mm -hmm. That was to Boston first, right? Yeah. yeah. So you first went to Boston mm -hmm. and you were leaving these, your, your, the, your people, your, your tribe. Yeah. You were leaving me. You were leaving everybody. Yeah. You were leaving your apartment. You were leaving your stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, she was, got rid of all of her stuff, put it up at her parents' house mm -hmm. and you ended up doing that. And you went on this and you were like, okay, I'm doing it. And how, what do you equate that to? And the ability to be able to do that and not be scared because fear is such a huge thing for people that we yeah. get to build, like we can't even move as far as to go to a meeting or to pick up the phone and call someone. And you actually went to a place you knew no one. Yeah. So at that point I had been sober for like, I guess it was four years or at least doing, you know, meetings for that long. And I felt I felt like I got to know myself so much better in sobriety. I mean, it, part of it is like I was in my early twenties. You're supposed to be figuring yourself out when you're in your twenties, whatever. So I was probably doing a little bit of that, but I really think that like AA gave me that, that compass that I needed to navigate what I wanted, what my goals were. And so I found that my goal was to get the heck out of Pennsylvania. I mean, I got out of Western Pennsylvania and moved to Eastern Pennsylvania, but I wanted to see things. I wanted to experience places in life. And so I think I help, it helped to have that motivation and like to know myself better first and foremost, and then to like, not be scared to move. I mean, I, there probably was some fear, but honestly, when you say that, I kind of feel like I just was like, this is what I'm doing and it's going to be great. Um, and, and I did, and I, but I knew how important it was that when I got there, I needed to plug in right away. Um, and that was at the top of my list as far as priorities. And I did, I did a pretty good job. I found 
you know, meetings before I went, I went to those meetings. I got a sponsor right away and I met two really awesome girls that I'm still friends with now in, in Boston. So I just tried to replicate the safety net and the, the network that I had in Philadelphia in Boston when I went. And then I've moved several times since then. And I would say like, it's gotten a little harder each time. Um, especially in the last like few months because I've been uh, remote working and living out of Airbnbs for like four to six weeks at a time and it's COVID. So like sometimes there's, they say they're having meetings and then I show up and there's nobody there. Um, you know, I haven't been the biggest fan of Zoom meetings because of various reasons that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that I won't get into, but I don't know. I, um, the thing that I've done in this time when I've been moving around a lot is I've kept the same sponsor. We meet virtually. So just like FaceTime or on the phone. And my, I was committed to like doing all 12 steps with her, which I just did. And I want to hang on to her for at least a while um, because having that consistency has been important, especially when my meetings haven't been as frequent or stable as they once were. So I still have that common thread of like recovery in my day to day. And then not only did you have, so this was when, this is just work that she's talked about. Then there's this thing that we have a hard time with relationships. So you met someone. I did in Boston. <laughs> and I was not expecting that. I thought, okay, I'm going to start this rotational program. I'm almost 30. I'm not going to meet anybody. And I'm okay with that. And what happens? HP drops this wonderful person into my lap. Um, and yeah, and he's not sober, um, which is fine because he doesn't need to be sober like me. Um, but it was just this whole thing that I wasn't expecting. And here we are like almost four years later and we're engaged. We're going to get married next year. And, you know, we, we did long distance for 15 months and then we moved in together in January of last year. And then everything shut down because of COVID. And so not only are we like going from not seeing each other very much for 15 months because we're long distance to living in the same apartment to being locked down together for the first time. And yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of learning that I've had to do. And it's been a challenge because I think living with somebody and also being in a close, you know, relationship can really bring out some defects in, in all of us. I mean, it certainly did in me and, 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 you know, defects, I say it like, it sounds like such a negative thing, but it's just like fears that I had, or like these underlying insecurities that, um, I didn't need to think about as much because when you're by yourself doing your own thing on the day to day, it's not coming up as much, but these things started to come up and, the way I felt about like certain ways that he would act and then how I would act in response to that and communication and just, you know, this whole other like ball game of things that I didn't even start to address. And so that, <laughs> that's what will make you want to drink for sure. If, you know, if I didn't have this program, I think. So I was listening to a, a, a speaker Mm -hmm. and a circuit speaker um and they, it was on youtube 
And they were talking about the steps in the, well, they were actually talking about the traditions. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like he had said that, you know, the steps are really learned of what you learn, how you learn to live. Mm -hmm. And the traditions are how you learn to live with everybody else. Relationships, yeah. Yeah. So do you find that you use the traditions to help you in your relationships, would you say, or no? So I think that I'm learning how. Um, cause you know, if you were to just sort of read the traditions verbatim, they kind of sound more like general and like for a group. But if I really sit down and think about it, that you kind of have to like switch up the word. You can't take it literally. You sort of have to like apply it through a different lens. And when I do that, I can totally see how the traditions apply to relationships, um, and interacting with other people. And, you know, I, I think what tradition is just about like service and putting other people first. Um, something that I've learned, I mean, obviously like my needs are important and stuff. They definitely are. And I'm learning how to articulate my needs a lot better, but I think about me and what I need a lot. And so sometimes it's good to like switch the narrative and be like, you know what, what is, what does he need? Like, what can I do to be helpful to him? Because chances are what I'm doing to be helpful to him, he's going to like respond to that positively. And it's going to end up coming back and benefiting me anyway, or it might be something that I actually need. And so I do it for him. And then he's like, Oh, I want to do this too. You know what I'm saying? So it's just sort of that idea of like getting out of myself and stop worrying about myself so much sometimes can actually be really beneficial. So someone that's out there right now and you're trying to get sober and they're having, you know, it's interesting because we got sober Mm -hmm. in the real world, not in the virtual world. I know it's so crazy. And now there's so many people that are getting sober via Zoom. Yeah. Via Zoom. What are your thoughts on that? Because you just spoke about how you didn't really like it. Mm -hmm. And what do you think that is? Because I, because. Go ahead. Well, no, no, well, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's a good question. Like, I think part of the reason why I didn't like it is because I was used to the other way. I was used to going and interacting with people and, and I like people, you know, I, I, that's, yeah, that's just something that makes me happy is, is, uh, you know, seeing that and I'm on the computer for work all day. So it was kind of a little bit of that, but I'd say, I I've heard a lot of people who are newly sober during zoom times, uh, say that they think it's great and they love it. And that's awesome. Like keep loving it. And if it works for you, then keep doing it. And if it's not working for you and it's your only option, I would say, you know, maybe there's a way that you can sort of supplement that. Like Zoom is kind of nice because you have that little chat feature where you can reach out to somebody privately. So like get on the meeting. And if you hear somebody who is, you know, who you, you like what they have to say, just reach out to them and give them your phone number, ask them for their phone number, and then connect with them one-on-one. And if they're local, maybe you can meet up in person, you know? Um, so if you're looking for the, the human contact, like maybe you're not going to get it in the meeting itself, but, but you can get it from the meeting and outside of the meeting, if that makes sense. I think it's hard. Cause I don't, you know, but I think it's great that people are getting, I think it's hard. I yeah. think for me, because I still go because of where I live, there aren't any, you know, yeah. there's no other options. So I need to, I, I mean, I think there are options, but nothing that I found 
And I have this meeting I started in the morning. I don't mm-hmm. talk about it that much. I think you even asked me out there. Like, do you tell people about it? Mm-hmm. And I don't always tell people, but if you need, if you want to try it, we I host a meeting. I don't really host it physically myself. I have other people that I'm so grateful for that we made. We have our own home group that is in this, it's in the cloud. It's awesome. And please come to it if you ever want the information. It's under Morning Hope on Busy Living Sober. Um, you know, being young. And getting sober young mm-hmm. is I have people that reach out to me. And they're like, how do they do it? How do you do it when you're young? And is it now trendy to be sober? Would you say? <laughs> and when we talked about changing the st- stigma, I mean, for someone that's young, like you, do you think that there is such a stigma anymore? And what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I do think there's still a stigma. I think it's becoming more mainstream to maybe not necessarily get sober, but to have these like these spurts of like, you know, being not drinking for a certain amount of time or, um, prioritizing health and wellness, because we all know alcohol is not good for you. I mean, I'm not here to say like, nobody should drink ever. Cause that's not realistic. And that's not what I'm about. If you can, and you can handle it, then absolutely by all means drink, but there's plenty of studies out there that, that say that, you know, alcohol use as a whole, especially if it's in high amounts can cause cancer. It can cause neurological problems. I mean, the list goes on and on. So when you think about health and wellness, which I do think is very trendy and, you know, um, these days, especially with people in my generation or younger then yeah, they might be looking at being sober, or just like not drinking or really limiting their alcohol use as a way to, be healthy. And if that's the case, like, that's awesome. You know, I think that's great. You don't necessarily have to, um, be in recovery from alcoholism to be sober. You can just be a regular person who doesn't really like to drink. And I think that if that becomes more popular and there's less stigma around that, that would be awesome because a lot of the drinking, I've experienced and that I think is probably still happening and drug. And I say drinking, and I kind of mean it as like a blanket for a lot of other things. It there's, there's peer pressure. Like there truly is I, it's peer pressure. It sounds so corny, but like it happens and you've got all these kids who are like, come on, like, like drink with me, whatever. And they're doing it younger and younger and younger. And it's hard when you're young to say no to that. Um, and I had that experience myself when I was 14 and I had my first beer because I was hanging out with like some people who were older than me and I wanted to be cool and I wanted to fit in. And so I drank, you know, and I don't think that's why I became an alcoholic. It was just, you know, I could relate to the the pressure behind it and that feeling of wanting to, to fit in. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I do think not drinking is becoming more popular. I would love to see it in the like younger generations, like kids being able to say, no, I'm good. I, I don't want to, cause I want to be healthy and I don't whatever, or I know that alcoholism runs in my family. So I want to be careful, like talking about it, you know, if, and when I have kids, I want them to know what my history is because I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that like alcoholism is genetic, like there's, there's actual genes involved, but I do think that it either has to do with like perhaps trauma, like early on. And so that's the reason why it carries through families. Cause like that trauma keeps repeating itself and repeating itself and it molds the brain in a certain way and whatever. But 
if there is a genetic component or if it truly does run in families, like I want my kids to know so that they can be informed and they can make decisions about like, yeah, maybe I want to like take it a little easy because maybe I'm going to be like mom someday. Um, but I hope, you know, my future unborn children never have to see me drunk, you know, that would be helpful for them to not get totally messed up. Um, I think like I went off on a tangent, but I, I love that though. Questions. It was really good. It was really good. And what do you, cause again, you're younger than me. You're way younger than me. 